Well, that is wonderful singing tonight, and there are songs that deal with the theme of hallelujah because this is the only place in the New Testament we're going to look at tonight where the word is used. So if you'd open your Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter 19. We're going to be looking tonight at the first five verses. I've tried to figure out how to tackle this. We're going to tackle the first five tonight, and then we'll move forward into the next section, Lord willing, next Sunday night. But here's what the scripture says. After these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, because his judgments are true and righteous, for he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you, his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and your people who've come out tonight to be part of it and partake of it. We pray that your spirit would move in our minds and hearts tonight in light of this text, and we'll thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a, an older believer who had gone to a very formal church. It was kind of a cold church and a dead church, and they were handling this particular passage of Scripture. And in the service, this old believer yelled out, Hallelujah, Amen. And they did it a couple of times, and the person sitting next to him said, just, just quiet down. And the guy said, well, I can't help it. I just have the joy of the Lord in my heart. And he said, yes, but you didn't get it here, <laughs> which I thought, I thought was pretty good. In the book of Revelation, and in this text right here, you get a amen-hallelujah combination. It's a chorus that's going to be sung. Now, if you look at the index to our hymnal in the back of the book on page 847 is what is called the topical index of songs. And the first subdivided listing in the index is called adoration and praise. And then the adoration and praise section is broken down into two main categories, adoration and praise concerning God the Father and adoration and praise concerning Jesus our Savior. We sang songs tonight, the hymns beautiful hymns that were selected that actually came from that. All creatures of a God and King came from the adoration of God the Father, worthy, thou art worthy, came from the praise and adoration concerning our Savior. Then Alleluia, sing to Jesus, actually I think should have been in the praise section, but it was in the friend section. When you look at the listing of hymns, both categories feature a lot of great hymns, but of all the adoration and praise hymns, that are listed in our hymnal, there has never been one written that will compare to the majestic and impacting song that will be sung right here in Revelation 19. Now the choir's been getting ready for this song in heaven. In fact, if you back up to chapter 16 in Revelation, I'm going to take you back to a couple of passages. In Revelation chapter 16, we read in verse 17, the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. So in heaven, they realize it's done. The wrath of God has finally been poured out. And at this point, Babylon is destroyed. It's time to sing. And that's exactly what happens in heaven. Just before Jesus Christ literally returns to this earth to take charge of the world. 
a majestic, heavenly, hallelujah, praise him is going to be sung that celebrates God's judgment. Now, right here, there's a major turning point in the book of Revelation, because at this point in time, evil is pretty much gone. I mean, there's one more battle, but that won't be long. That'll be short-lived. Christ will end that real quickly. And the praise begins worldwide. What a glorious moment this is going to be. And we do know that we're heading to this moment because the Bible says so, and we may be nearer than we even begin to realize, and Jesus Christ is coming to reign, and when we think about that, certainly that is great cause for praise. And when we see the depravity and the evil that exist right now in this world, I mean, things that... Could you imagine we'd even be thinking about transgender stuff when we were... In school? I mean, can you even fathom that idea? I mean, this stuff is just, it's bizarre. Can you ever imagine a six-year-old goes in and guns down a teacher? I mean, can you think in those terms? We've never seen this stuff before. I mean, this world is catapulting down in a spiral faster than a, as it were, speeding bullet. Well, one day in heaven, a hallelujah song is going to be sung, and we're going to be there. We're going to be part of this, because what will have happened is God will have judge the world. He'll put an end to this stuff. And when that moment happens, we are going to praise the Lord. Now that's exactly what we see here in this text of scripture. Tonight we're introduced to that. All heaven is singing a hallelujah, praise him in judgment. Now in chapter 18 and verse 20, the angel said, rejoice over her, O heaven and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. So there was a real call for the people in heaven to rejoice, and they rejoice and they start saying hallelujah. They're rejoicing in heaven because of the destruction of Babylon. They're rejoicing in heaven that finally righteousness is about to take over the earth. But it's not the same way for the politicians and businessmen. They're not rejoicing. They're not singing. In fact, look what they're doing in chapter 18, verse 9. And the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning. Drop down to verse 15. The merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning. So while you have this great scene of great rejoicing taking place in heaven, those politicians and those business entrepreneurs that are still left on earth and religious leaders, if there are any still left on earth, they're weeping about this. What a contrast. Here in heaven, they're rejoicing over the destruction of evil. And in heaven, they're rejoicing. And on earth, they're weeping. Now, as we look at the context, you'll notice that four times in these verses, that word hallelujah is used. As I mentioned, this is the only place in the New Testament where the word occurs. It's used quite a lot in the book of Psalms, and one reason is because Psalms reveals quite a bit about the kingdom reign of Jesus Christ. Now, the word hallelujah comes from two Hebrew words, hallel, and I have it for you there in your notes, and in Hebrew, you read from right to left, so you get that little square thing there, and then you have these two L's there in Hebrew, so you're reading from right to left, hallel, which means praise, and yah, which means Jehovah. So you put those two words together and you get praise the Lord. You'll notice when we sang tonight's hymns, that chorus actually said hallelujah, 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 praise the Lord and used the H in front of the noun hallelujah. There was an H there. And then when we sang that last hymn about the Lord Jesus, praise the Lord Jesus, it was hallelujah that didn't have the H with it. It just began with the vowel A 
And the reason for that is in the Greek Septuagint, Alleluia is the word. It starts with an A, but in Hebrew, it starts with an H. It's hallelujah. It's both the same word. And it means the same thing. It means praise the Lord. And it's interesting that this particular word, hallelujah, means almost the same thing in every language. Here on earth, most people don't really say hallelujah. And if they do say hallelujah, they're probably not saying it for just the right reason. We just say hallelujah, praise the Lord. But the song that we just sang in hallelujah, praise the Lord doesn't actually say why, why we praise the Lord. Now, hallelujah is a song that is usually connected to punishment of the wicked. And this is the thing that's overlooked. I would like you to go back to Psalm 104 tonight, if you would, please. Psalm 104. And I want you to notice verse 35. Psalm 104, verse 35. The text says, Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Hallelujah, or praise the Lord. Hallelujah is the word that is there. And you notice the context. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. So this idea of hallelujah is literally connected to the punishment of the wicked. Now perhaps the most famous use of this word is Handel's Messiah. And probably the most famous part of Handel's Messiah is the hallelujah chorus. It was first performed on March 23rd, 1743. It is considered to be one of the most majestic choruses ever written, ever put to music. And the lyrics are, you're familiar with them, you know, hallelujah, 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 for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, and he shall reign forever and ever, and he shall reign forever and ever. He's the king of kings forever and ever, hallelujah, hallelujah, the Lord of lords forever and ever, hallelujah, hallelujah. He shall reign, he shall reign forever and ever, King of kings forever and ever, Lord of lords, hallelujah, hallelujah, and he shall reign forever and ever, kings of kings and Lord of lords. Mr. Handel based that on this particular text of scripture, but he kind of missed the context. It's a beautiful piece of music. I love to listen to it, actually, but he kind of overlooked the context. It's true, Christ is going to come back and reign forever, but that's not why they're singing at this point, hallelujah, although it's connected to that. King of kings and Lord of lords is coming to that. They are singing hallelujah because he's just wiped out evil. He has just completely destroyed Babylon. And so most people, when they think of the word hallelujah, they view this as a real positive thing. But the fact of the matter is, the context of this is he just destroyed Babylon. And in heaven, they're saying, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, hallelujah, hallelujah. So they're not singing a song about just the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is included in it, but they're talking about in the immediate context the fact that he just destroyed all that was evil on this earth, and they're praising the Lord for that. And we may recall that in Revelation chapter 18 and verse 22, the song and music stopped on earth. Well, when the music stops on earth, it's just starting in heaven. Because what is going on on earth is everything is being destroyed that's evil, and what's going on in heaven is everything is just majestic. So, there are two hallelujah praise hymns that are sung in heaven when this happens, and the first one is the praise of the multitude in heaven. Verse 1, after these things, I heard something. After what? After God had wiped out Babylon. 
After these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous for he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality and he's avenged the blood of his bond servants. And a second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. I want you to notice the prepositional phrase that starts off verse 1, after these things. That is a critical Critical prepositional phrase, metatauta. It's a critical phrase to futuristic events. Go back to chapter 4, verse 1. Let me just point this out. The church age is over. That's where this prepositional phrase first started to be used in the book of Revelation. After the seven churches of Revelation were done and gone, and the church had been raptured, we read in chapter 4 and verse 1, after these things. Then if you go over to chapter 7, and you notice verse 1, after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners. If you drop down to verse 9 of chapter 7, after these things, I looked and behold. If you go to chapter 15 and you look at verse 5, you read once again in 15 verse 5, after these things, I looked. And in chapter 18 and verse 1, after these things, I saw another angel. What is pretty obvious to us when you read that is this is given in sequential chronological order. There's sequence to this. This isn't haphazard stuff. This is going down in a sequential chronological order. So after Babylon had been completely destroyed, John says, I heard. Man, I heard the sound of a great multitude in heaven. And heaven has an article, though, with it, so we're talking about the heaven. We're talking about the throne of God. John hears this voice of this great multitude, and this voice is saying, hallelujah. In other words, they're bursting out in a hallelujah praise service because of what God has just done to Babylon. See, people just don't understand the justice of God and the righteousness of God. I mean, when a jury finds a killer guilty and... The godly response, although there's not just a gloating in it, is going to be, finally, we have true just judgments. Praise the Lord for that, finally. But when a jury lets a killer walk away free with no justice, if you are a person who actually has some biblical wits about you, you're not saying praise the Lord about that. In fact, it kind of is depressing. Now, we may observe from verse 1 that John said, I heard this, and John's not a simple-minded man. As we've tracked this guy through Revelation, as we tracked him through the Gospel of John and through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he's not a simple-minded man. So when he says, I heard something, he heard it. He said, I heard the sound of a great, great multitude, and this great multitude was speaking in a loud voice, and I understand that to mean that they were speaking in a very majestic voice that could be heard worldwide. It was coming out of heaven. It could be heard worldwide. When Jesus Christ is about to come, there's going to be a lot of things that are happening in heaven that the whole earth is going to see. And what the voice was saying is salvation and glory and power belong to our God. The Greek literally reads the salvation and the glory and the power of the God of us. That's how it reads. That's how I would literally read that in the Greek text. The salvation and the glory and the power of the God of us. And there are eight praise statements that they make. 
that prompts them to praise the Lord. Number one, the salvation is of our God. You know, when you get to heaven, there's just a lot of talk about salvation. When you get to heaven, there's a lot of praise things that pertain to salvation. We saw that when John first got to heaven. Go back to chapter 5, and if you look at Revelation chapter 5, and here was where John really started to zero in on that theme in Revelation chapter 5, and you'll notice verse 9, they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain, and you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. So we were first exposed to the idea of the salvation of God when John got to heaven. I mean, here he's in heaven. He's in the early stages of being in heaven after the angel said, come up here. And he gets up in heaven, and right away, as soon as he gets in heaven, he finds himself in a kind of a worship service, and they're talking about the salvation of God. Then, if you flip over to chapter 7, and you'll notice in verse 9, after these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation, and all the tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches, were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. So here's this group that's come out of the tribulation, and they're also talking about the salvation of God. And the reason why this innumerable company and multitude in heaven is praising the Lord, the reason why I'm sure we're going to be praising the Lord is because we're there. We get to go to heaven. I mean, we don't deserve that. And certainly, if there's anything that's going to prompt us to say, hallelujah, praise the Lord, it's going to be the fact that we are saved. But I don't think that's the salvation they're actually referring to there. When they say, the salvation of God, I think they're referring to here to the fact that this is the redemption of the world. This Babylon has just been destroyed. And so what is going to take place is God is finally going to save the whole world. I mean, he's going to put out all evil, stamp out all evil and corruption and sin, and he's going to save the entire world. And they, when they think about that, said, hallelujah. He's destroyed the idolatry, the God-mocking idolatry that mocked him and his word and his son. He's destroyed the immorality that pulled the whole world away from him. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's salvations of God. Second statement is the glory is of our God. That's what he says in verse 1. And glory, John says, I heard him say salvation and glory. The glory is of our God. Majestic glory. Statement number three, the power is of our God. We're talking here about the majestic power of God. Now, when those elders were first worshiping the Lord, when John was first exposed to heaven, I'd like you to go back to chapter 5, if you would, please. Revelation chapter 5. And I want to draw your attention to verse 13 of Revelation chapter 5. We read in verse 13, And every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne of the Lamb, Be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And then if you go over to chapter 19, and you'll notice that we are in a text of Scripture where they're once again talking about this 
glory of God. Now, here's the thing. When people get to heaven or when this multitude is in heaven, there's no problem giving glory to God. Everybody wants to give glory to God when they're there. Problems here on earth. Nobody wants to give glory to God. What we're talking about here, by the way, is very reverent worship. We're not talking here about some sloppy, agape, emotional nonsense. We're talking about reverent worship here, where these people are saying salvation is of our God, glory is of our God, the power is of our God. And their fourth statement is the judgments of God are true. Because, verse 2 says, his judgments are true. If you don't like what God does, you're wrong, he's not. I can't explain all the things that God does, nor can you. There's not a man on this earth can explain all the things that God does. But I can tell you this, whatever God does is true and right. That's very, very clear. And God's judgments are true because they're his judgments. Anything God decides to do will be true. Anything that God decides to judge will be right. God has limits in things, and he reaches a point where he says, I've had enough. I've given grace. I give plenty of opportunities of grace. If people don't respond, he does different things at different times in different people's lives, and you and I can't explain it, but he did it. He's sovereign over it. We're talking here, when we talk about judgment, punitive forensic judgment. We're talking about God making a decision to actually pour out real judgment, and he never makes a mistake in this. So what you have in heaven is you have people who are in heaven and they're realizing those judgments of God are true. They're true. And then, if that's not enough, they make a fifth statement and they're righteous. He says in verse 2, because his judgments are true and righteous. God's judgments are righteous and just because they're his judgments. You hear people on earth questioning God a lot. Why would God do this? Why would he permit this? How come God would allow this to happen? I'll tell you what, in heaven, nobody's going to be questioning God. They're going to be praising him. Because they will realize everything he has done has been righteous. I can't understand the mysterious sovereign working of God in a variety of contexts, but he's sovereign in them. And he's pouring out his righteousness in him. And any judgment that God gives at any time is a true judgment. It's right. It's accurate. It's a righteous judgment. God does not ever dish out unrighteous judgment. So when something happens that we don't understand, it's better to just keep our mouths shut and not comment on it, not question God, not criticize God. Just know that about God. God's righteous judgments are judgments. I mean, I'm sure when people are on this earth and he is leveling Babylon, I mean, he literally is pouring out his wrath, and these people can't escape. They're dying a dime a dozen in the streets. I mean, uh, he is slaughtering them. I'm sure people are going, well, this doesn't seem right. How could God do this? Because it is a just, righteous judgment coming from the hand of God. And they're praising God, saying hallelujah to God in heaven because of it. Now, the sixth statement is God has judged the great harlot. In verse 2, he has judged the great, great harlot. Now, back up to chapter 17 and verse 5, let's not forget this statement about Babylon. And on her forehead, a name was written, 17.5, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. So Babylon is the mother of idolatry. 
Babylon is the mother of idolatry who has corrupted the earth. That's an interesting word for thyro, which means they have actually responsible for destroying it. The religious system, the political system, the commercial system has actually taken people away from a right concept of God. They've destroyed things. They've spoiled it. That's the word that's used here when it says they've corrupted the earth. And God says, that's the legal reason I'm going to destroy her. They took everything that I had done for people that was good and they twisted it. And so they put it into something that has been controlling the world ever since the book of Genesis. They pulled people away from me through idolatrous religion and through various immoral things. They've corrupted things. They've corrupted religion. They've corrupted morals. They've corrupted commerce. And God says, I'm bringing that down. I'm going to destroy it completely. Wipe it off the face of the earth. And in heaven, they're praising God. The seventh statement is God has avenged his servant's blood. Verse 2, and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. Now, the bondservants are the saints and prophets and the Apostles. I find this a fascinating theological point about God. Once we get to heaven, once we're out of this body of ours and we have the privilege of going to be with the Lord, we are not going to give two hoots of a holler about this lousy world. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Man, oh man, I'm looking forward to that. I mean, I'm looking forward to all the new stuff we'll be seeing and experiencing. It's going to be fantastic. So you take these people that are already with the Lord, these saints that we're seeing in Revelation and the apostles, they're already there with the Lord. I mean, they're experiencing and enjoying the wonderful things in heaven. I mean, they're enjoying the wonderful things in heaven. But you see, what God says is, I tell you what to my people, I have not forgot about people that did you wrong. I have not forgot about those things that were done to you that were negative. And even though you're here enjoying eternal bliss, I want you to understand, I'll settle that score. Because I'm going to avenge what has happened to my people, what they've done to my people. And vengeance is sweet when it's left to God. And after making these statements again, the people just said a second time, verse 3 says, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Now I want to give you a real, I think, practical application that we can make in this grace age of this very principle. Go to Romans chapter 12. And this is instruction that's given by Paul to grace age believers. And obviously this has real applicability to us, even though this is in the tail end of the tribulation and we're already in heaven when that goes down in Revelation. But notice what Paul writes in Romans 12 and verse 19. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I mean, the Lord says, look, you may forget about the bad things that were done to you when people tried to do you harm. I don't forget about them. You can get on with your life and live your life. Just leave that stuff to me. Because I'll tell you what, I'll track it all down. And at this point in the great tribulation, when Babylon has been destroyed and God has tracked all them down, I mean, you have this wonderful anthem of praise, hallelujah, praise the Lord. But then there's this eighth statement. 
And that is Babylon's smoke rises up forever and ever. Notice verse 3, her smoke rises up forever and ever. Forever and ever. There is going to be a reminder of the permanency of a punishment of people who mock God and his word forever and ever. That's smoke. That smoke will be rising forever and ever. It will be a smoke that will say there's torment people are experiencing because they made mockery of God. And don't overlook the fact that the point that's brought out about the punishment is it's forever and ever. So once a person is in this place where there's this fire, they're in this place forever and ever. And you may say, well, now how could it be heaven or how could we be in a place where if we look at smoke and we realize, well, there are people that are burning in a place of torment forever and ever. I mean, wouldn't that kind of be depressing? Not at all. Why? Because we will finally understand the righteousness of God the way we should have when we lived on this earth. We'll understand that God is a righteous God. He's a just God. He's a merciful God. He's a gracious God. We'll understand that people rejected that. They didn't want his precious son when he came here and laid down his life for them. They rejected that. And so as a result of that, we won't be looking at that smoke saying, oh, that's real too bad that they didn't respond to him. We'll be looking at that going, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Which brings us to the second praise hymn, the praise of the 24 elders and living beings in verses 4 and 5. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Now ever since chapter 4 of Revelation, when John got to heaven, these elders and these living beings have been leading in worship. They have been falling down and worshiping God. I mean, here are the beings that hold the highest positions of rank in heaven. And on multiple occasions, they have fallen down to worship the Lord. And the 24 elders and these beings have been listening to this great multitude. And I'm assuming we'll be part of that multitude that will be singing hallelujah. We'll be part of that. They're listening to all that. And they really have nothing to add to what is said here. So they just burst out when they get done and say, amen, hallelujah. It's just interesting to me because there's real interaction that's taking place in heaven. And I mean, the people that are singing the hallelujah chorus, they're not saying there, can I get an amen from you people? I mean, that's not what they're doing at all. It's just like when they get done, they go, amen, hallelujah. And the word amen means this is solemn truth. That's what the word actually means. It means this is solemn truth. And by using the combination, amen, hallelujah, what these 24 elders and living creatures are doing when they hear this anthem that's being sung concerning the Lord God and his righteous, just, true judgments, they just say in solemn truth, praise the Lord. And they're praising the Lord because they agree with the fact that God has just poured out his judgment. It's his judgment. He poured it out. Praise the Lord. And verse 5 says, when that happens... There will be this voice that comes from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Now this voice comes out of heaven and there's quite a discussion on whose voice is that. 
Now, it's possible that it is the voice of Jesus Christ. I don't think it is. I think it's a voice of a high-ranking angel. And I say the one reason why I think that this is the voice of a high-ranking angel is because we have another episode where the Lord Jesus Christ talked to Mary, and when he described something in regard to God, he uses different pronouns from him to God and from Mary to God. And let me show you that. Go back to John chapter 20, and I'll show you what I'm talking about here in this conversation that takes place between Mary and the Lord Jesus. In John chapter 20, Jesus says to Mary in John 20, 17, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. So what Jesus does here is he sets himself apart in a relationship that he specifically had with his father that is a little bit different by use of those pronouns than what Mary and his brethren had. In other words, he said, this is my father. Yes, it's true, it's also your father, but this is my father in a very unique way. So I think this is probably a high-ranking angel. And this high-ranking angel who has this voice coming out of heaven says, give praise to our God, all you, his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. And there are four different classifications that he brings out of people that he says, give praise to the Lord. The first one is, give praise to the Lord, all you who are the bondservants of God. That's an interesting word, doulas. It's a word that would indicate that a person has decided that they would make themselves servants of the Lord, subject themselves to the word and will of God. They willingly have done that. They've actually linked themselves to the word of God and followed the Lord. They're going to be there giving praise to God, singing hallelujah. All you who fear the Lord give praise to the Lord. Notice that. You who fear the Lord. I'll tell you what. Those who have no fear and reverence of God are really going to have it when they get to heaven. And it pleases the Lord when he sees his people who fear him. Both the Old and the New Testament give us challenges to fear the Lord. And God is not honored by some shallow sentiment. He's honored by people who reverence him and who fear him. And this voice says, all you who fear the Lord, give praise to God. Then he says, all of you that are small, give praise to God. Now what that tells us is, there are different classifications of individuals in heaven who would be there to be able to praise the Lord. And those classifications are determined by one's commitment to God and his word. So you could be a person who's classified as a small person, or classification number four, you can be classified as a person who is a great person. We're talking here about great in the sense of rank and stature, not great in the sense of what the world sees the person as. We're talking about great in a relationship with the Lord. So there are going to be people in heaven who will be in heaven who will be small in rank and stature because they never did get serious about the word of God. They're believers, but they never did get real serious about the word of God. So they'll be the small group or the small classification. And then you have the great ones that did take the word of God seriously, and they were interested in learning and applying the scriptures, and they have a stature that is that which pleases the Lord. So not all have the same classification. All are believers, but there are classification distinctions. What we learn about heaven is there's diversity there. There's different personalities there. There are different rewards there. There's different levels of faithfulness that have existed in a person's life before they get to heaven. 
But all of the people there, all of the people there will be saying hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Why? All false religion that pulled people away from the true God is gone. All the immorality that pulled people away from the things of God is destroyed. And so there will be this great praise and worship service that will take place at the throne of God. I want to leave us with two concluding thoughts from this passage tonight. Number one, praise and reverent worship are important to God. Praise and reverent worship are important to God. Man, you go down through that text, you go, this is serious stuff here. I mean, God is pleased with worship that is reverent. When people gather to reverence him, and it's not sloppy, it's not loose, it's decent, it's orderly, it's reverent. Praise and reverent worship is important to God. Secondly, smallness and greatness will be determined by our love for the Lord and commitment to his word. Smallness and greatness in heaven will be determined by our love for the Lord and our commitment to his word as we live life on this earth. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your precious word. We thank you so much for your people, Lord, who've come out tonight. As John mentioned, this is a great crowd out here tonight. We thank you for that. We pray that we would be people who would be in that great classification, not because we're great ourselves, because we're not, but because we have experienced your grace and we spend our days wisely, not as fools, living our lives in light of the scriptures. We pray that that would be the testimony of all of us connected to this fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen.